my own part of the vocals. You're uh, well. I'm recording my own part of the vocals now too. Well, let's get. Hey, dudes, let's get it on. Why don't you count it down today? And in three, two, one. Howdy! Welcome to episode 27 of the Managing Expectations podcast, the podcast that uh, helps you keep an eye on the passing scene, keep abreast of interesting things that you might have missed, helps to be an interesting diversion from uh, the the horror of, (laughs) of reality. (laughs) <laughs> the you know, sheer the sheer horror existential dread that is waking up every single day now uh look uh here here we are and uh we've got we've got some uh, movies to talk about we've got some books to talk about really excited uh to be joined as usual with my aide-de-camp brian grimm howdy brian Howdy, Jeff. Good afternoon. Uh, we um, uh, are recording. Uh, uh, we're recording um, a podcast. Yes, yes, that's what it is. That's what it is. Um, and uh, uh, you might think that a guy like me is all talked out. Oh, no, no. Oh, no. Not by any means. Um, so. The Managing Expectations podcast, of course, is uh, brought to you again this week by Mrs. Winger's Masks, um, the maker of stylish, safe, and sartorially superior face masks for our plague time. (laughs) Mrs. Winger's Plague Time Masks. You know what? I noticed I'm actually kind of I, I, I'm kind of getting a tan line from having to wear a mask. It's ridiculous. You know, when I was a kid and I would see like the guys who like worked at the ski resorts um, and they would like come down from the mountain and, you know, they were there were guys that were in good shape, but they would have the tan line where their sunglasses were. And I thought, man, those guys are just like the coolest. By the way, they all have skin cancer now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're all getting, I mean, because because when you were a kid, nobody took that seriously. They were probably, no. they were probably applying baby oil and then going out to the slopes. Uh, if they were applying anything, it was just a little bit of Zinka on their, uh, on their nose. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Not because it did anything, but just because it made guys like you think they were that much cooler. Yep. He's got the, he's got the white Zinka. That's, it's pretty fresh. <laughs> that reminds me of, uh, um, there's that Judy Garland song that was used in an ep- early episode of South Park. I like to sing uh, about the sun and the moon and the spring. Uh. Apply some Zinka. Okay. No. You got nothing. No. Yeah. No. Nope. Right. Oh, no. 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 I know you. 
your mother probably called to make sure you weren't watching South Park. Not, not for a couple of weeks, but it's the call's coming. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Mrs. Winger and I watched. Okay, so um, iTunes had like a ton of movies on sale, and I, I bought uh, some. Uh, they were classics that I didn't have in my uh, collection otherwise. And we watched for the first time, and we watched it together the other night. In the Heat of the Night, from 1967, with um, uh, Sidney Poitier as uh, police detective uh, Tibbs uh, from Philadelphia, who happens to be passing through Sparta, Mississippi, which is I, which is I think a real town, but not as it's portrayed in the movie. Um, when a murder happens and then he comes into a conflict and then an uneasy alliance with small town sheriff Rod Steiger mm. and um, it was it was so in I mean for one th okay so here's the thing it was a great murder mystery you know it was kind of like a who like you know who did it what's going on um, it had a great feel it had a great look I mean you could just tell that it was a hot and humid uh, town in a time before central air conditioning you know mm -hmm. um, there was and 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 the, the 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 dynamic and the tension between Poitier and everybody else almost everybody else in town uh was was terrific and i'll tell you what else it it was historically accurate um they they dropped the n-word a couple of times it, at exactly the time and it wasn't gratuitous it wasn't like a tarantino movie for heaven's sake mm -hmm. um but it was exactly the sort of the times coming from the mouth of characters who would have used it in that time and place. And, and there's like that really famous line um, uh, where uh, he, I mean, he was pretty cool and collected the whole time, but it, like at one point he loses his temper and say, they call me Mr. Tibbs. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it was great. I mean, it was really well done. So, so I'm, I'm looking at like the movie poster uh, uh, from it and like it's it's really sensational right it is it is and so it's got a couple of guys like standing over a body right but you know they're it's it's just it's a cool 60s you know uh, vibe to it and the the tagline is great it says they got a murder on their hands and they don't know what to do with it yeah <laughs> which actually so i think is a line from the movie is it yeah um, this is interesting is that in 2002 the film was selected uh, by the United States National Film Registry um, by the Library of Congress as being culturally historically and aesthetically significant so that echoes what you just said yeah yeah I mean it could so it's, it's not just it's not just you <laughs> okay well if you want to hear it from somebody else you know Okay, I get it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, um, 
I started watching, so I don't, I, I don't I'm not that familiar with uh, Poitiers, who's, by the way, still alive. He was born in, like, 1925, so he's, that would make him 95 years old. Uh, he's still alive, apparently. Um, what? No, that's incredible. Oh, you're shaking your head like, no, you're looking at his Wikipedia page, and he died in 1986, but... Um, no, I think he's still alive. I mean, when I looked the other night, unless I was... Yeah, 90, 93. He was born in 27. Okay. Okay. So, um, uh, I'm, not, I'm not that familiar with his uh, uh, body of work. But I um, started a Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Uh, and then, I don't know, I think I got distracted by something. It was fine. It was good. But it was... Uh, uh, that's when um, he's dating and maybe even engaged to uh, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn's daughter. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, here's this <laughs> proper, uh, you know, liberal, uh, mid-20th century American liberal couple who have humane politics and enlightened views on race and they about have kittens when their daughter brings a black man home um but you know i think they get over it in the end and that that thereby hangs the tail but uh yeah yeah no um in the heat of the night was a great noirish and 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 you you mentioned um uh it being from the 60s and i'm kind of glad you brought that up because i've i've tried watching uh some movies from the 60s and some of them are just like so I I think that and I don't know if it was like Easy Rider or other it wasn't Easy Rider which I think came out in 69 or 70 but there were a lot of movies that were like really experimental and they like did this weird camera stuff and they did they, they toyed with psychedelia and like there's a movie called Point Blank with Lee Marvin and Lee Marvin's great. He's a tough guy. Uh, but even that movie's like shot really weird. Um, mm-hmm. A few years ago, the basic idea of Point Blank was remade into a Mel Gibson movie. So this would have been the early aughts, I think. It became Payback, which yeah. was, as <clears throat> I understand it, typical Mel Gibson torture porn. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen Payback, but for some reason I thought that that was also based on a, a short story. It, it's based on a, yeah, there's a there's a guy named Donald Westlake who's a mystery writer that almost nobody's read, but everybody, that you, every mystery writer that you do read, reads Westlake, and they say, yeah, Westlake's great. Uh, so he he's one of those really interesting guys, and I think at this point, uh, John D. McDonald, uh, who wrote the Travis McGee books, is is kind of in the same, just because he wrote so long ago that I mean he uh, threatens to or is is threatened uh, to just like die out of popular memory, and, and there are some things to um, cr- criticize. Uh, McDonald about certainly uh, 
but I'm but I'm saying whoever whoever you read, if you read Michael Connolly, if you read uh, Thomas Perry, if you read Carl Hyacin, they all read these other guys, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so so yeah, Donald Westlake, and and by the way, Donald Westlake actually wrote half his books under a pen name, and I can't remember what it is right now. So anyway, Point Blank, which became Payback, was based on a Donald Westlake story. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but it had like all this crazy stuff. I think, um, okay, remember, I, I think Butch Casting the Sundance Kid is a pretty fun movie. Um, I, I loved it as a kid. Uh, I always loved it in my memory. I watched it a few years ago and it seemed really kind of 1960s and and i'll tell you what i don't like i don't like the scene where they introduce the bicycle and then it and then that allows for the musical interlude and playing bj thomas raindrops keep falling on my head Mm -hmm. Uh, and i just think what do you why why are you doing this you know why why do you insert um a burt Bacharach song in in what <laughs> in what would otherwise be maybe the greatest buddy movie of all time and maybe it's still the greatest buddy movie of all time and then if you watch uh the tom the original Wait, oh, go ahead. better than tango and cash well i don't know brian i never saw tango and cash um <laughs> would I, but if you did maybe you could tell me would i be tango or would i I'd be cash you'd be tango for sure. Which one was he? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anybody listening at home, if you want to uh, drop us a line about why I would be Tango. Or not. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, the original Thomas Crown affair had a similar scene. Where I don't know, I think that like uh, Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway. So listen, that movie's got some flaws too, but those are two beautiful people, am I right? So they're like in a glider or something. I I, I can't even remember. So it was also stupid to me. But they also had a musical interlude with windmills, wind, uh, the song "Windmills of My Mind," uh, which I think was performed by the great, the great. Dusty Springfield. Uh, I love Dusty Springfield. I just, but I just couldn't get behind it. It's like, it, it mm-hmm. almost, it felt to me like some movie executive said, you know what was great, kid? That mo- that song in the Sundance Butch movie. So put a song in your movie here and we got a hit. Let's do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I think Norman Jewison who was who's the director of in the heat of the night also did the thomas crown affair so the fact that he had that that he inserted that scene with the song means he either thought it was a good idea or like almost every recording artist in the 80s he just had to give way to the synthesizer on a couple of songs Mm. And so he just had to go with the times and the prevailing uh, attitudes. But 
Um, anyway, so so like they have all this crazy stuff in the '60s uh, with movies where you know weird weird trips, man, and uh, in the heat of the night didn't have that. It just it just told the story. It just told the story straight up. The and, and it wasn't it wasn't nonstop action. I mean, there was some just great slower scenes and and you know it, it was interesting too. I mean, the attitudes of some of the character the, the the supporting characters in the in the South. Um, some of them were were tolerant if benighted, and others were just unbelievably hostile. Mm-hmm. I mean, just horrible. And uh, I have no reason to doubt that that wasn't exactly how it was. Right. <clears throat> My um, so I haven't seen that movie, but I remember that the TV show from what the 80s, late right? eight, late late eighties, mid eighties or so with Carol O'Connor. Yeah. Okay. Because because the character who played Tibbs was also in a movie called A Soldier's Story, also directed by Norman Jewison, who did. Uh, in the heat of the night, um, but he had some trouble with the law, as I recall. Uh, so, and I think that I was had just been married not very long, so I would say mid to late eighties. Mm-hmm. But that, like, my dad didn't watch many TV shows like that weren't sports sp- sports related. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but but he did watch that show, and uh, so I would catch bits and pieces of it every now and then. But uh, yeah, I think it ran for t- ten seasons, eight, eight, ten seasons or so. So it was, you know, a decent show. Really? Yeah. Uh, did they did they have to change the lead character, or do you, as far as you remember, was he the same guy the whole time? I think it was the same guy the whole time. Okay. Well, I think Dan Haggerty kept playing Grizzly Adams after he had a little trouble with the Bolivian marching powder. Uh, but I don't know if that guy's still alive that actor Um, he because you just haven't heard a thing from him and then of course the 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 sheriff was played by Carol O'Connor right uh, who was Archie Bunker in uh, Mm -hmm. All in the Family and then subsequently Archie Bunker's place Um, and when you watch In the Heat of the Night the movie Rod Steiger really kind of looks like Carol O'Connor. I mean, I, I I never saw the TV show, so I didn't have. But but physically, they're very very similar guys. Mm-hmm. Though Steiger seemed a little sweatier, a little more physical, a little more willing to, uh, you know, beat a confession out of uh, a, a suspect. Right. So this is interesting that so the TV series was on NBC for for four seasons and then switched to CBS for another four seasons. Okay. That is so interesting. There you go. Yeah. It doesn't happen very often. No, not very often. Um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Went, uh, yeah, Brooklyn Nine-Nine did that uh, kind yep. of recently. Are you uh, I lost you there for a second, but... Uh, That's okay, because I'm, arrested, still, reco- I'm arrested. still recording on my side. I'm still recording on my side. Which So, uh, our, our producer, the brilliant Jackson Grimm, 
is going to be able to put that together. And if you hadn't, if you hadn't just, if you just hadn't dropped your linen, <laughs> nobody would have known. Way Weaving to, intentional flaws. Way to play it cool. Oh yeah, that's that's like episode one, Brian. <laughs> what are we on? Twenty seven? Is this twenty seven? Uh, this is twenty seven. Okay. Yeah. No, no thanks to your schedule. <laughs> but it's twenty seven. Yeah, we're doing great. So if we get one percent better after each episode, we're nearly thirty percent better than when we started. Well, Brian, it sounds like you're talking about the Japanese philosophy of kaizen. <laughs> That's outstanding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, just a little bit, a little bit better all the time. That's how it goes. One brick at a time. Uh, Brian, maybe you, you'd like to take a moment now and uh, say something about our sponsor. Uh, the masks? Mrs. Winger's masks. Well, let me find my, uh, my notes here. But... Brian, aren't there occasions when we... <laughs> yes, there are occasions when it requires uh, certain people to be dressed up and to look nice for the occasion. Uh, the situation that we're in now with the pandemic requires us to, to wear a mask on most occasions. So if you're going to wear a tie or you're going to dress up, you might as well look stylish and be comfortable. And if you're going to wear a mask, you might as well look stylish and be comfortable. Mrs. Winger's Masks. Check the show notes for a link to, this, to the site. Yeah, the show notes, which would take you to Mrs. Winger's masks dot square dot site. That one? Those show yeah. notes? Those are the show notes. And I've noticed that uh, the selection has been been updated. So if, if, if you're there one day and you don't see anything that, that grabs you, I'd give it a day or two. That's That'd a be nice, my advice. Yeah. That's a nice that's a nice touch. Thank you, Brian. Um, uh, yeah, it's true. She is always adding new styles. It's unbelievable. Including um, yeah. Yeah, and she's always She's always throwing them at me to name them. What What are you working on right now? Uh, she didn't like one that I called. I can't remember what it was. Uh, well, I had to. I had to explain why the one that she thought was Desperado is El Capitan, and the one she thought was El Capitan was Desperado. <sighs> So rookie mistake, and, <laughs> and also she, uh, she's um, so some, and, and the, this is kind of like my paintings too, but she, uh, it's like I'll name it something official, but then she'll just call it whatever she wants anyway. Yeah, Mrs. Winger makes masks. She does, and, and sometimes you get to name them. <laughs> <laughs> so I started I started painting a couple of weeks ago uh, and remember remember a few a couple months ago when I said I was real I got real discouraged because I can't paint a horse mm -hmm. well I still can't really paint a horse but I came closer on my second attempt than I did my third so I have two really big canvases because I like working with big canvases 
and I'm essentially painting the same thing in two different sizes. And of course, because I have no real discipline, uh, they are somewhat different, but they're similar, right? Similar background, similar blue horse in a similar position, but different. And uh, it's very exciting. And she likes them the way they are now, but uh, which makes me think uh, I need to um, maybe quit while I'm ahead, but I'm probably gonna keep going because I think that they can and should get better. Would you, is that something that you would snap a picture of and we could have in the show notes so as a reference for our listeners? Well, I think what I really need to do is um, reassess my um, online presence and uh, uh, start putting pictures, you know, paintings up on uh, the website. Yeah. The thing is, if I'm going to do that, I'm not sure that the Pacific Century media empire that I'd envisioned is really necessarily the way to go. But I don't know. You know, we can, you know, we could still do a big tent there. You know. Yeah. Um, so I, I really, really, really splurged, and I found I unearthed a couple of things cleaning up my office. Um, there are two maps that I brought back from the Philippines 25 years ago. Now, I don't want to say that it's over, um, but so far, this, the, the, the months that we spent in the Philippines um, doing some work in a Vietnamese refugee camp has been the great adventure of our lives. Mm -hmm. And um, I brought a couple of maps home of the island that we were on and the city the provincial capital we were in and I had them framed yeah. cool but let me tell you they rip your lips clean off when you go in to have something framed I mean that is no fooling are you with me there I, you know at, at Southwest Plaza there was the great frame is that frame a mall up. near you Brian a mall Southwest Plaza it's on the southwest side of town Okay, and they had they had a frame store called the Great Frame Up, and you know it's it's a it's a chain of oh, franchise sure. or whatever, right? But I, I always wondered like, how is this place staying in business? Like this is a it's a pretty big store. Like I don't I don't know. Like do people just like is this a regular thing that people like bring stuff in to get framed? You know when I was when I was like a teenager, like it, it didn't make much sense to me, and then. Yeah, here it I comes. Had, then I then I had to take something in to get it framed, <laughs> and they are swinging for the fences every time somebody brings something in. They don't rely on singles and uh, bunts to move the runner <laughs> along. <laughs> no, they're not going to burn an out to get a guy on second. <laughs> Yeah, so we went. I went to Michael's, and you know they're like, "Oh well, as a matter of fact, we're running a two for one sale," you know, and, and you pay twice as much for one frame. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's it. It's like so you know you you look at the bill, and you know it's like you saved ninety seven hundred dollars, and it's like still so much money. It's unbelievable. Uh, that sounds like a good thing, saving that much money. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's like on paper. <laughs> you know, how much 
how much for this book? Well, it's a million dollars, but I'll sell it to you for five. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe we should get into the frame business. Uh, it's another thing you got to have a skill for. And, and wouldn't you just love to be... By the way, what happened to the great frame up? They probably got killed by Michaels and Hobby Lobby. Yep. And then, um, oh, what was the other thing? Um, yeah, no. Uh, I, I don't think I, I, I... I Well, okay, so you're, you're making me think again of, uh, um, you know, just the devastation being wrought upon small business. It's unbelievable. I don't know. I don't know how anybody's coming out of this. Um, I, I don't know how anybody's coming out of this. Uh, I mean, without. I mean, you got to have some deep pockets. I went into a bookstore uh, a couple weeks ago. Have I told you this? Mm -mm. So the bookstore I used to work for. I w I walked back in for the first time since the lockdown. They're open, uh, and it was and and you know they have. Uh, signs up that say one person per alcove and you know but to my to my way of looking at things they weren't really um, limiting how many people were going in uh, there weren't right there weren't many employees but I, I mean I'm telling you it was bleak and and, and that's not schadenfreude um, I, I don't take any particular delight in, in reporting this but it was bleak I mean there, there was nothing on the shelves. I mean, the shelves. Were, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Now they, they, they get there. They hadn't been buying from the public because they hadn't figured out. Well, how do we bring things in if it's could potentially be drenched in COVID, right? COVID nineteen germs. However, that works. I don't know. Maybe we'll uh, Jackson see if you can get Dr. Anthony Fauci on the show. Yeah, we need a maybe a guest, Doctor Dr. Anthony Fauci. Anyway, so so these guys were like, so then they were buying books, you know, two hours a week or something by appointment, and you could only bring in a little bit, and uh, it really um, the the ugly truth is they make their they 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 get their inventory with a strip mining sort of sense by taking everything they'll event they find the occasional diamond in the garbage heap and mm -hmm. um, so you know somebody brings in a bunch of uh, romance paperbacks that smell of cat urine and there'll be like a a first printing of Stephen King's Carrie which is worth like five hundred dollars you know, mm -hmm. so I mean, that, I mean, that's how that happens. And since, <laughs> since usually the people doing, you know, make do, making these buys don't really know, uh, aren't aren't really as yeah, they're the, they're the front line. They just they just they just bring this stuff in. Yeah. So anyway, the, there was nothing on the shelf. So I mean, I I don't think they'd been buying. They they don't have enough people to put stuff on the shelves. And I mean. There were holes in the shelf that you could have thrown a cat through. Um, wow. Oh, which is apparently the sort of thing that would have Ellen DeGeneres yell at me. I don't know if you've followed that story about her, that she was like mean. Like if so, if you say like, well, there's more than one way to skin a cat, she would like yell mm -hmm. at you for using an idiom that was 
that imply um, cruelty to animals. Well, that's well, that's that's interesting uh, because like one of my favorite idioms, like just keep it on the cat theme, is you can't swing a dead cat without hitting, you know, X. It's just kind of funny that visual. Why does the cat have to be dead? So like, so so when I say you can't, because uh, it would be inhumane, Jeff, if it was still living. See, but mine is there's a hole so big you could throw a cat through it. Because if you threw a cat, it would assume a defensive posture, so it would be it would have its legs akimbo and its claws out so a hole would have to be very very big and i think that's virtually, that's, virtually double the size of a cat in its normal position uh, or a dead one <laughs> right yeah yours is just mean i'm just, i know yeah so anyway uh yeah now i read uh, an article about because because i was wondering what the deal was with ellen degeneres because um you know, I, I am quite uh, interested in what's getting various people canceled. And hers was just that, like, she's supposed to be nice, uh, but uh, she was uh, kind of mean and n nasty to some people behind the scenes. But then also subordinates um, were up to more serious shenanigans. A little bit. Of so, you, so, so you mean to tell me that a TV personality that seems nice to the public is not so nice behind closed doors? Well, Brian, apparently that's the case. Uh, I, I like to get all, you know, I go to America's number one news source, the Hollywood publicity agents. <laughs> so it, she, she, she's going to lose that talk show. Is that true? And, I don't know. And then what? And then what? Well, like it didn't. Like I read that, like the like. Dude, she's all worth the like a billion dollars. So I mean, she she doesn't have to work. Wow. <laughs> You're killing. We'll me. see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> see. Uh, yeah, I did read like that. Like four or five producers were fired. Uh, yeah, and I'm not. I don't know if there was like some racism, but I think that there was some sexist behavior. So yeah, in uh, Hollywood of all places. In Hollywood of all places. I mean, I don't know how you'd have seen that coming. Um, if you, if you can't trust a Hollywood producer, who can you trust? So I've also started reading. Okay, so I mean, I got different uh, things that I'm reading, including. Um, a book called The Coddling of the American Mind, which I thought was going to be about cancel culture. but And, and it is a little, but it's also about, um, of all things, cognitive behavioral therapy, which has always been something that I've liked. Um, it's by a couple, it's two different guys. Uh, Greg Lukianov and Jonathan Haidt. Uh, Jonathan Haidt, I think, is a um, professor at NYU. 
but for example, you know, they, you know, they describe uh, some of the, okay, so, so for like the longest time through the 20th century, Freud reigned supreme, right? So if you had a problem, if you were depressed, whatever, it's because of one of Freud's three things, and I think two of them were sexual, right? Um, but in the 60s, a guy named Aaron Beck came up with um, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, it says clinicians assumed that depression and distorted thinking it produced were just the surface manifestations of deeper problems, usually stretching back to unresolved childhood conflict. Uh, which is where you get the thing about like laying on the couch and tell me about your parents. Right. Um, but Beck noticed uh, that his patients tended to get themselves caught in a feedback loop in which irrational negative beliefs cause powerful negative feelings, which seem to drive patients reasoning, motivating them to find evidence to support their negative beliefs. Beck noticed a common pattern of beliefs, which he called the cognitive triad of depression. I'm no good. My world is bleak and my future is hopeless. And then they talk about different things. But in, in many ways, a couple of the things is um, um, uh, going to an extreme, uh, an unreasonable extreme. Um, everybody hates me. Well, no. If you're like every, if you're like most people, some people hate you, but not everybody. In fact, if you think about it, you've got some really good friends. You know, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe you had a terrible uh, interaction at work, okay, and that's the thing that sticks in your head. But you know what? You're 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 doing that at the expense of the twenty really positive exchanges at work, right? So, mm -hmm. cognitive behavioral therapy kind of uses it uses your intellect to overpower or, or to uh, bed down these negative feelings because feelings are, are different from thoughts, but you can reason with yourself. You can, you can talk to yourself and talk, talk through a thing. So um, I'm, I'm, I was just, I'm, I'm kind of uh, pleased that I think that this book describes the current scene I mean, not necessarily 2020, but describes events that have been building over the last decade and also talks about the personal, about how you can feel better about things, which I think is... And what, yeah. yeah, and what's that, what's that title again? The Coddling of the American Mind. So, uh, what was the thing? Um... You know, just because there has been a change, and no offense, but as people your age have had kids, uh, and <laughs> utterly screwed them up, <laughs> followed them around with sanitizer and won't let them eat dirt and stuff. Um, so there was a thing where uh, there was a thing early on, and I'm I'm trying to remember. Put sunblock. Put sunblock on them. Sunblock's fine. Sunblock's fine. I cannot believe how bad my mom let me get burned as a child. 
she she's like i told you to get out of the pool yeah i was a little kid and i was having fun it was like the worst burn it was unbelievable i mean i'm serious like like child protective services would come today if if you let a kid get that burn so i'm going to tell another my dad story oh good so my dad tells a story that, about the worst sunburn he ever uh, received <laughs> he he now he was he was fairer skin right. than, than i am um but he said that he you fell are asleep. a swarthy fellow ah thanks <laughs> he he fell asleep and i don't know if the reason why he fell asleep on the beach but Nonetheless, he fell asleep, um, only partially under an umbrella, uh, laying on his stomach. So his the back of his le- his legs were in the sun for for hours. <laughs> and he said that that he had the worst sunburn. And then when it finally started to peel, like it didn't just peel, like it like cracked open, and he was like bleeding. Oh. And, like, this, like the skin was, he says the skin was as thick as his thumbnail <laughs> when it was cracking open, and he says, and and it just hurt so bad for weeks and weeks and weeks until it, you know, finally healed up. I was like, was somebody like holding like a magnifying glass <laughs> and like <laughs> setting your calves on fire? It's just, it's yeah, crazy. no, that sounds horrible. Okay, honestly, so be, ca- that be careful worse out there. than mine. That sounds worse than mine. Well, and people, people at, in a mile high al- altitude really can't fool around. Um, yeah, but the truth is, I don't think any amount of sunblock would have saved him from four hours. No. What did he? <clears throat> did he? Did he have a third Coors or something? Pro- probably. Yeah, yeah. Young man on the beach. Yeah. You know, uh, a few episodes ago, I said I I, I had been drunk at Chatfield. Uh, reservoir near where you live and uh, you said I, I probably wasn't the first or the last right yeah <laughs> um, so uh, uh, oh, so 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 th- there was a thing about how um, ki- parent parents like start stopped giving their children peanuts because they were afraid they might have a an allergy and then they all developed allergies because they'd never been exposed to peanuts um mm-hmm. something like that um uh, a develop I, you know maybe i should find the reference before i just start spouting off it. well because that's a serious thing peanut allergies it is are you are you especially concerned about your children do they, do either of them have any food allergies so so jackson one time he ate like uh you, you know like those those like a plastic tube of like the planter sunflower seeds like they're they're already shelled so they're just in a in a plastic tube okay he ate like a whole thing in like 30 minutes okay and then he puked his guts out for like three hours. Um, but since then, he's had like a sensitivity to to certain to certain nuts and seeds. Like peanuts are fine, not a problem. Almonds, big problem. Really? Yeah, it's just it's weird. I don't I don't know. I don't know how it works. I don't know how that works. 
My, my niece and nephew, though, have serious, severe peanut allergies. <laughs> okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can... I'm going to have to go back and... Uh, uh, no, that's not it. All right, I'm not going to be able to find this on the... Uh, I'm not going to be able to find this on the on the podcast but I will continue to I, I'll look for this and next week I'll have um, more because there's like a really um, interesting thing uh, about okay so so I mean this book is like I think I think where cancel culture and cognitive behavioral therapy actually intersect is in ideas like words are violence and I have to feel safe and these are things that fly in the face of a dangerous world I mean it's it's not um, it's not fooling I, I mean I, I actually don't think words are violence having had my feelings hurt by words and having taken a beating, um, I know that I would typically rather be made fun of uh, than get punched. Okay. Um, this is actually a great anecdote. And um, uh, in August 2009, the three-year-old of one of the authors of the book had his first day at a preschool. Before he was allowed to take the first step uh, in his education, his parents had to attend a mandatory orientation where the rules and procedures were explained by Max's teacher. The most important rule, judging by the time spent discussing it, was no nuts. Because of the risk to children with peanut allergies, there was an absolute prohibition on bringing anything containing nuts into the building. Of course, peanuts are legumes, not nuts, but some kids have allergies to tree nuts too, so along with peanuts and peanut butter, all nuts and nut products were banned. And to be extra safe, the school also banned anything produced in a factory that produced nuts, so many kinds of dried fruits and other snacks were prohibited too. As the list of prohibited substances grew, and as the clock ticked on, the author asked the assembled group of parents what he thought was a helpful question. Does anyone here have a child with any kind of nut allergy? If we know about the kid's actual allergies, I'm sure we'll all do everything we can to avoid risk. But if there's no kid in the class with such an allergy, then maybe we can lighten up a bit and instead of banning all these things, just ban peanuts. The teacher was visibly annoyed by the author's question and she moved rapidly to stop any parent from responding. Don't put anyone on the spot, she said. Don't make any parent feel uncomfortable. Regardless of whether anyone in the class is affected, these are the school's rules. You can't blame the school for being so cautious. Peanut allergies were rare among American children up until the mid-90s, when one study found that only one, only four out of a thousand children under the age of eight had an allergy 
meaning probably nobody in the kids' entire preschool of about 100 kids. But by 2008, according to the same survey, using the same measures, the rate had more than tripled to 14 out of 1,000, meaning probably one or two kids in the school. Nobody knew why American children were suddenly becoming more allergic to peanuts, but the logical and compassionate response was obvious. Kids are vulnerable. Protect them from peanuts, peanut products, and anything that has been in contact with peanuts of any kind. Why not? Because that's because what's the harm other than some inconvenience to parents preparing lunches? But it turns out the harm was severe. It was later discovered that peanut allergies were serving, surging precisely because pe parents and teachers had started protecting children from exposure to peanuts back in the 90s. In February 2015, an authoritative study was published, The Leap, Learning Early About Peanut Allergy Study, was based on the hypothesis that regular eating of peanut-containing products when started during infancy will elicit a protective immune response instead of an allergic immune reaction. The researchers recruited the parents of blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, and it talks about the test. But there you go. So, um, so by protecting the children in this manner, uh, they all have this thing. And I don't know, when I hear about everybody who's, um, what is it, gluten? What? Gluten intolerant. Gluten intolerant. Intolerant. That's a word for you. See, so right there. Right there. I, I had heard that the, the, the peanut allergy was actually like something that was being promoted. <laughs> See, I was trying to do this straight. That was actually being promoted by big lunch meat. <laughs> that they were tired of kids, you know, even learning about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at an early age. And then that, you know, going generation to generation, a big lunch meat wanted kids eating bologna and salami big lunch meat you know that's uh that's a great trope that's a great joke big fill in the blank uh that, there's that great norm mcdonald joke um oh hey just got a text from jared he can't join us shocker yeah we're 50 minutes in yeah <laughs> after starting 20 minutes er late not early, late, yeah. So, uh, uh, Norm Macdonald. Norm Macdonald told that that joke on his last Letterman appearance, which was so which was so outstanding, and he told that great joke about Germany. Um, but he also told that joke about, um, you know, when I was a kid, uh, they uh, they said you gotta be you gotta be be careful with acid. So if you drop acid, you might end up uh, having a flashback and uh, taking another trip 20 years later. Well, when I was a kid, I thought, well, that sounds like a pretty good that sounds like a pretty good deal. So I pay for it now. I get a freebie down the road, <laughs> something like that, right? So because so I took the acid. Now here I am, 30 years later. I've never had a flashback. There's just more horse manure from the people at Big Acid. <laughs> Big Acid. That's great. Right? Pretty funny, right? That is funny. Yeah. Um, were we, we all talked about um, 
the uh, Rob Brydon and uh, Steve Coogan movie, The Trip to Greece. Did you watch that? No, Jared was saying that he watched it a couple episodes ago. Okay. Yeah, I started. They've done it. three of the, They've done three of them now. Yeah, yeah. And I re- I liked the first one. I didn't like the second one. And this one's okay. And um, uh, yeah, it's good. I, I I don't know. It's okay. Uh, they actually uh, do a funny thing. They uh, they read from. Well, it's, it's Rob Brydon reads from uh, Aristotle's Poetics about the human desire uh, to imitate for imitation and how um, uh, that's that's I mean it's it's like ingrained in us and so like when mm-hmm. they do whoever Michael Caine or Roger Moore uh, and we you know look you and I do it and we did it before you know independently without them we're uh we're uh, fulfilling an uh aristotelian uh, observation well there you go well maybe maybe next week instead of reading from uh the tin roof blowdown like i did last week or the coddling of the american mind like i did this week i will uh i'll dig out my copy of aristotle aristotles <laughs> yep <laughs> I got kicked in the Aristoticals. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, I tell you what, going back to what you said earlier, I'd rather be made fun of than being kicked in the Aristoticals. Uh, I remember one time we were playing the Frisbee. I, 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 okay, so like my old man was always tired or frankly drunk. And so we, we didn't play in the yard often so I finally got him to go out in the backyard with me and throw the frisbee and like on the first throw I I'm like I I heave this frisbee and and I I rack him and he like falls over and he's like clutching himself and he's throwing up in the backyard and I'm crying now because you know of course I was a sensitive boy and I think he's mad at me and like mom's like no he's not mad at you and I'm sure he was totally mad at me but um, uh, Dennis Miller said that after he became a father he he said his privates have been hit more times than a pinata (laughs) just because kids don't know what they're doing (laughs) And like, like, like toddlers are always kind of running at like a slight forward angle, you know, <laughs> when the kids were little, like, I can't tell you how many times I've just been like, ran into in forehead, like right, right to the midsection. Children learn to run at a, at a optimal racking angle. <laughs> Or would you put that at about? Top. Would you put that at about twenty three and a twenty three and a half uh, degree angle? The top eighth of the forehead. It's like the sweet spot. It's like the Louisville Louisville Slugger Slugger logo on a, on a baseball bat. 
Frack them. Frack them. Okay. Well, um, let's uh, let's uh, start wrapping up. Not rack them up, but uh, wrap up episode 27 of Managing Expectation. You know what I've learned, Brian? You always want to leave them wanting more. And I, th I think we, we, we had some... Uh, some good movie stuff we had some good uh book stuff we had some good uh, passing scene stuff i think this is a pretty good episode who 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 is attributed with that quote always leave them wanting more who who's who said that who made that famous i don't know uh was it um pt i, I mean it could have been like a vaudeville guy i mean barnum yeah, I thought it might be Barnum. Um, okay, so when I was like 16, you you gave me the U2 live album, Rattle and Hum. Did I? You did. And a couple of weeks later, you asked me what I thought of it. And I said, I think it's pretty good. When the song, When Love Came to Town, is a great song. And I said, I like it because it's, it's, it's long. There's a lot there and it's, it, it rocks. It's a good song. Yeah, it's one of my favorites, but what, okay, what did I say in the 90s? First rule of showbiz is you always leave them wanting more, so it'd probably be better if it was about a minute and a half shorter. Okay. Uh, I'm glad that made an impression on you, and again, I want to thank you for being my friend, since obviously I'm such a judgmental jerk. Uh, I listen to that song like once a month. I mean, it's like in heavy rotation on my iTunes um, it's on half the playlists I've ever made. Uh, I, I've quoted it on this. I've quoted it. Yeah. You know, I, I yep. mean, because I feel like uh, in many, many things, I, I did what I did before Love Comes to came to town. But uh, it was P.T. Barnum who said, uh, 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 leave, always leave him wanting more. Yeah. I think. I don't know. I, I switched to Duck Duck Go, and <laughs> and we're still using uh, a FaceTime to uh, <laughs> as a as a medium for this podcast. So what's that about? What are you What are you trying to say? Well, why'd you switch to Duck Duck Go? Uh, because I. Uh, Except for my seven Gmail accounts, I'm trying to limit my. Uh, my good, I'm trying to call. limit my Google um, exposure. Good call. Uh, I also heard that um, Apple might uh, be buying DuckDuckGo. Oh really? I heard that. Yeah. Hey, Apple split their stock. Guess what? I bought one one share of today. Nicely done. That was smart. I got one share for uh, one twenty nine. I yeah. I I almost pulled the trigger uh, on a on a similar transaction, and then I thought that's an awful lot of money. Oh sure. What our readers, what our readers, what our listeners might be interested in knowing is that you make like fifty times more money than I do. Um, but did you you did, know you know why you you know why you make a lot of money? Because I 
spend a lot of money. Because you need a lot of money. Yeah, you got, yeah. You, got, you, you, got you got two kids. You got a, uh, Have you bought a car yet? I, I did. What'd you get? We'll talk about that off- offline. No, I, I, I'm sure our, our <laughs> listeners would be interested. It's a... Uh, Do you go German or so Japanese? German. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's, that's fine. Did you ever... Okay, so you know the East Germans made... What was that? A, was it a Trabant? The East German car was a Trabant, I think. And um, it was either a Trabant or a Lada. And I think it's a Trabant. Anyway, P.J. O'Rourke said the worst thing that could ever be said about communism is that they took a bunch of German engineers and came up with that piece of junk. (laughs) (laughs) So over in the West, you've got them making, you know, they're making BMWs and Mercedes. And in the East, (laughs) the exact same guys are just building a thing that, you know, made the Justy look like, uh, you know, the design... (laughs) The, the winner of uh, the design and endurance prizes. That, that's hilarious. It, this, they were in business for forty years. Yeah, thirty-five years. Yeah, from the end of the Second World War until probably the unification of Germany. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And they were like, "Okay, that's enough of that." Yeah. And we, you will not. You will. You you will not be absorbed into. Uh, the Motor Works or the the Mercedes-Benz Corporation. Okay, so when we were in the Philippines, I know I've told you this story, but um, we um, we would take Mondays off, and there was a there was a bar, um, a floating bar. So there was like a lagoon, and the water was nice, and there was like this bamboo floating. Well, it was it was essentially a bar with like a, you know you, you know what's in a bar, Brian, uh, beverages and and like they could like cook up some fish and stuff and 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 it was nice, but it was run by a couple of uh, German expats. And uh, so we were there in the mid '90s, and uh, we'd go out and we'd you know we'd spend some time with them and we'd you know lay in the sun and 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 splash around and and it was great, and. Um, but I, I was talking to the guy and and I'm like, yeah, you know, the thing is, okay, so like just just knowing myself of how historically successful the Marshall Plan was in keeping Europe from starving after World War II and keeping them in the American orbit and out of the Soviet orbit, I was talking to this German fellow about (laughs) why West Germany was having such a hard time with unification. So it's probably Mm -hmm. six or six or seven years after the wall came down and, and, and things started coming together. And he says, and I am not kidding. And I'm not, this isn't hyperbole. He says, you must be, boom 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 economically powerful 
Now, I don't need, I, I, I'm not doing the accent because it sounds too much like Arnold Schwarzenegger and people wouldn't think that I was being for real. But you, okay, but when you use, when you use not one, not two, but three booms to accentuate economic power. So we did, ha we had a friend with us who is a Polish nat national and like, at the first opportunity, she grabs me and she's like, I told you not to talk politics with those people. They're crazy. <laughs> boom, 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 economic power. You must be economically powerful. That's awesome. Yeah, well, you know, doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, this uh, this then will conclude. Uh, Brian, perhaps one final word about uh, Mrs. Winger's masks. If you got to do something, why not look great and be comfortable while you're doing it? If you're going to wear a mask, which you probably should, Mrs. Winger's masks. Hey, actually, you know what? Before, I just, I got... Um, uh, I got a text from my friend uh, Douglas, and he re reports the following. So he had to go to uh, Colorado for um, business. He had to f he flew out, stayed overnight, flew back. He says on my flight back from Denver, the guy in my row ate one peanut a minute to justify his mask off for half an hour. And then he then he goes on and he says, there was no enforcement at all at DIA. You had all the types out in force, nose sticking out, mask under chin, mask hanging off one ear, the people talking on the phone the whole time with no mask on, and the people that didn't even seem to have a mask. My question to you, Brian, is what the heck kind of deal are you running up there in Colorado? The governor issued a, a statewide order and uh, you know, what are you what are you gonna do? Some people aren't gonna take it seriously. No. 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 That seems like a heck of a deal. You, you, I mean, if you're frightening the Texans, honestly. Um, right. Right. Yeah. So, uh, uh, what what do you, what do you think? Do you think more people wear masks in Colorado or more people wear masks in Texas? Oh, I don't know, Brian. They're so busy exercising in. In, in Colorado, it probably interferes with their breathing. They probably can't when they're jogging or biking in nature. I've got to keep my oxygen up above 92%. <laughs> and a mask just really brings it down to around 90 So, <laughs> So Mrs. Winger's masks are safe, stylish, and uh, what was the other one? Satorial. Satorially. Superior. Superior. Ah, there you go. There's a, there's a four. Safe. Four, four. Yeah, no, that wasn't it. But anyway, they look good. Oh, they're comfortable. But that's not an S. It's uh, what's, uh, what's a word that means comfortable that starts with S? Um, s Saber. <laughs> Svelte. 
Well, Brian, I've got to go put on some English gentlemen and uh, uh, see what Mrs. Winger's up to. Um, so she's probably making masks. It's because somebody in this family's got to make some money. Um, check out uh, Mrs. Winger's Masks website uh, via the show notes. Uh, thanks for listening in, everybody. Uh, Brian, thanks for, uh, thanks for being available. Good to be here. All right. You've been listening to the Managing Expectations podcast, mostly a production of the Pacific Century Media Company, a, uh, 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 an arm of the uh, Winger Media Empire. Uh, I'm j- Is it a conglomerate? Conglomerate? Uh, That'd be accurate? It's more a consortium. Mm. I yeah. Yeah. It's a consortium. I, I, I would have to say it's a consortium or a consortium, depending on where you're from. Either way, it's big time. Uh, let's see. If the British pronounce aluminum, aluminium, they would probably pronounce consortium, consortinium. Probably. This has been Managing Expectations. Let's go to work. Let's go to work. All right, without Jared here to screw it up, that was actually the best one we've ever done. Well said. (laughs) Yeah, it's all Jared's fault. That'll be just what he needs to hear that. Right.